Well, good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you moms out there. I hope you, if you, uh, your mom is still with us, like mine is, and you're fortunate in that way, I hope you have a chance to talk with her today or saw her this weekend, like I saw my mom yesterday. If your mom is not with us today, if she's in heaven now, um, praise God for her and for what she did for you. And take a moment sometime this week to reach out to a mom you know, because they need our support. They need a little encouragement. They got a hard job on their plate. So uh, y'all turn with me to John chapter 16, verse 33, Philippians 1, 29. We're going to start with those scriptures, and I'll just tell you, this is, this is not a Mother's Day sermon, so to speak. Uh, we are continuing our series on the idols in our lives, the things that keep us from following God with all of our heart and experiencing what he has planned for us. So I'm going to start by sharing something with you about a hundred years ago in our country, up until then, uh, there was a lot of money being made on what were called patent medicines. I don't know if you've heard of these. You might know them better by their uh, colloquial name, snake oil. We called them snake oil, or people back then called them snake oil because they always contained some kind of exotic-sounding ingredient that promised to cure all kinds of ailments. I mean, one little bottle of elixir could take away cough or cataracts or cancer, uh, could fix your snoring problem and help you lose weight or gain weight if that's what you wanted to do. It could help you sleep better at night. It could help you wake up faster in the morning. I mean, whatever ailed you, this magical elixir would do. And so there were all these formulas that were being sold, um, often in, in ads and magazines and newspapers. And sometimes the medicine show would sell them. You, your little village or your little town, a, a wagon would roll into the town square and a little show would pop out. There would be a singer or a magician or a guy doing a strong man act or an acrobatic uh, routine, some kind of entertainment that would draw a crowd. And once the crowd was there, the medicine man would get out, the snake oil salesman, and he would stand in front of the crowd that had gathered and he would hold up his bottle of elixir and he would, he would say, all you need is this bottle, just buy it for, the, for one simple price and, and it can take care of all kinds of problems. Lots of money was made on that. And what shut it down was the federal government established the FDA and they said, no, you can't sell medicine anymore and call it medicine unless it's been tested, unless the effects that you claim have been proven. And uh, that kind of shut most of that down. Although you can still buy some of these products. They just don't call themselves medicine anymore. They call themselves Coca-Cola, 7-Up, and Dr. Pepper. Those were actually patent medicines that went away from uh, trying to be medicines and just became uh, simple beverages. And, and we still have snake oil in our culture today. We still have products that are sold with all these great promises that don't really add up. I'll, I'll show you a couple of pictures. One is what you call toning shoes. Remember when these were big a, a few years ago? They just look like athletic shoes except they have a rounded bottom instead of a flat sole. And so the, the pitch was that wearing them was so awkward that you would have to use different muscles to keep yourself stable and that would work so many odd muscles that you would lose weight without even exercising. Anybody try that? You ended up with a really dorky pair of shoes but you didn't lose any weight. And so, uh, by the way, they're still selling these. You know how I know that? Because I googled that to get the picture and ever since then, every time I turn on co my computer, it says, buy these toning shoes, Jeff. So. Don't you love Google? And then, uh, then there were wow chips. I don't know how many of y'all remember this. This is further back. Wow chips were fried in a, in a product called Olestra. So whereas oil, you fry chips in that and it's got lots of fat and calories. Olestra had very few calories, no fat at all. 
And this actually was true. The problem was Olestra was like a time bomb in your gastrointestinal system. And so you would eat a whole bag of Doritos and you wouldn't gain any weight at all. In fact, you'd lose it because you were running to the bathroom every five minutes. Yeah, they should have called them something other than wow. Maybe that's why they called them wow, you know? Wow! So, um, it's Mother's Day, I can't tell jokes like that. Um, so, so we're in a series about our idols, and, and my pitch to you, my, my, my premise to you is that all of us, all of us have things that stand in the way of us giving ourselves fully to God, things that distract us from Him, things that we give first place instead of Him. And if you want to know what your idols are, I want to give you right, right off the top three questions to self-diagnose. So the first question is, what do I spend money on? You can really tell what's important in your life just by looking at your credit card statement, which, by the way, comes every month. I don't know if you pay attention to that, but it does. You can look at the, at the money you spend on your bank drafts. You can see where your money goes, and that tells you what your priority is. The second thing is, what makes me angry or afraid? If I get upset because somebody else tells a joke that I told yesterday and people laugh at their joke but not at mine, if I get angry or upset because people are making a big deal out of someone else and I want to be in the spotlight, then it could be that affirmation and approval are my idols. If I'm, if I'm afraid because the stock market took a dip, then it could be that my wealth is my true God. If, if, if when I look in the mirror, I don't like the fact that I'm getting wrinkles and gray hair. If I'm afraid of aging, it could be that personal appearance or personal health is my idol. So this can tell you a lot about what's most important to you. The third thing, third question you need to ask is, where does my mind go in idle moments? When I don't have anything else on my mind, nothing else to think of, spare time, whenever that happens to be, what do I daydream about? And that tells you what your idols are, what your true priorities are. Now, obviously, by those criteria, all of us have idols in our lives. None of us can say, I spend all my money on God, all my idol thoughts are on Him. And you may wonder, well, what's the big deal? Why does God have to be number one? Why does He have to be more important than these other things? It's, it's not because God is insecure. It's because God loves us. And He knows that idols are snake oil. They make big promises, and the promises don't pay off. Today we're going to talk about the idol of comfort. Last week it was family. Today the idol of comfort. And I have to say right off the top, comfort is a good thing. Just like most of these things we're going to study, comfort is a very good thing. This is not something to be avoided. It's something good. When you have everything you want, when you get that thing you've been desiring and it makes you happy, that's a good thing. When life has kind of settled down and the pain you were going through has gone and, and you feel happy, that's a good thing. God says in 2 Corinthians 1.3, Nathan quoted it in his prayer, he is the God of all comfort. So any comfort really comes from him. He created the world in six days. And on the seventh day, you know what he did? He rested. He was setting a pattern right at the creation. He was setting a pattern for us saying, you're not meant to go pedal to the metal all the time. I want you to take care of yourself. When Jesus raised a little girl from the dead, a 12-year-old child who had died, he raised her from the dead. And the first thing he said to her parents was, give this child something to eat. Because God doesn't just care about your soul. He cares about your physical self. He cares about your basic needs, your everyday needs. Jesus, one of my favorite promises of his was, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. And then James, the brother of the Lord, said, every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of lights. 
So in other words, if you have something good, if today after church you go and you eat a really good meal, or you're together with some family or some people you love and you're enjoying their presence, or you get to take a vacation soon and you get to go somewhere you've never been and it's a lot of fun, or somebody tells a good joke that's not at the expense of someone else and you laugh really hard at it, or you go see a good movie, or you see a a great sporting event, or you have some wonderful time, all of those are gifts from God. And when we enjoy them, just like any dad who gives his children gifts, God wants to see his children enjoy those gifts. And so that's a good thing. It's actually a worshipful thing to enjoy the gifts God gave you. But when those things become ultimate things, when the desire for those things and the need for those things, when your yearning to overcome your time of pain becomes an ultimate thing in your life, then it is an idol. And the the idol of comfort whispers in our ears and says, with just the right lifestyle choices, you can eliminate all pain, all struggle, all stress from your life. If you just buy this product, if you just live in this neighborhood, if you just marry this person, if you just make this decision, if you just bump up your lifestyle one notch, you're going to be so much happier. And that's not what the Word of God says. God says the opposite, in fact. John 16, 33, this is just where we're going to start. In this world, you will have tribulation. These are the words of Jesus. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Those are two sentences. We like that second sentence a lot more than the first, don't we? In this world, you will have tribulation. No matter your income level or how good a shape you're in. Philippians 1.29, Paul writes and says, For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. That is a promise from God. And I don't see that in any of those Bible promise books. I don't see that on anybody's bumper sticker or their coffee mug. But it's in the Bible. You know, Paul and Peter both wrote about the fellowship of sharing in Christ's sufferings. In other words, this idea that when we go through hard times and when we suffer, we can think, I am participating in some way in some level of the suffering Christ gave for me on the cross. So I'm identifying with Him. So this is a chance for me to get closer to Him. And I can remember uh, years ago when I pastored another church, there was a man who visited our church and I went to go see him afterwards. And in the midst of our conversation, one of the things he said to me was, listen, preacher, I just need to tell you right now, if you ever preach about how pain is good and how God uses pain to grow us, he said, I am out of your church. I, I, I do not want to hear that. He said, if I was a dad, I wouldn't want my kids to go through pain. I'd protect them from anything bad happening. I'd give them anything they wanted. And I said to him, yeah, but I am a dad. And the truth is, I don't protect my kids from all pain. If they need to go to the doctor, my wife or me, we take them to the doctor. If they need a shot, they get a shot. When it's time to go to school, they have to go to school. When they get in trouble in school, I don't go yell at their teacher and the principal. They get in trouble and they pay the consequences. I mean, that's, I don't cause that pain. I'm not happy about that pain, but I know I can't protect them from all pain. That's part of life. He did not want to hear that. And he didn't come back to our church. And this is true. I I read in the paper a a couple of years later that that man had actually taken his own life. And I, I don't know. I didn't know the man well. But I can't help thinking. I can't help thinking that part of his problem, part of what made this world unlivable for him was... He bought into the, the lie, the snake oil, the idol of comfort that says, I deserve a life with no pain. I deserve a world with no struggle. I deserve the things I want. And man, that is a devastating thing to realize it's not true. 
So what can we do? What can we, what can we do to overcome this idolatry of comfort, this idea, if God loves you, he'll protect you. If God loves you, he'll give you what you want. What can we do to, to outstrip that idol and overcome the trials of this life? Four things, and yes, four points. That's one more than the typical Baptist sermon, so you're going to have to listen hard because I'm going to go fast, all right? Well, number one, practice self-denial. If anyone would come after me, Jesus said, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. That's Jesus's invitation. That's his sales pitch. Can you believe people actually followed him? They did because he was worth it. We live in a time when self-denial is not a popular idea. We live in a time when, well, let's face it, even the poorest people of our society have so much that wealthy people of old would look up to them and say, I wish I had that. The Caesars and the Pharaohs wish they could live in our time for the things that we have. There is literally nothing you can't have today. You want to watch a particular sporting event or a, or, or a concert? You can stream it right in your home, right on your phone, in fact. Do you want a, a specific item of, of clothing or, or an article of jewelry or a particular piece of furniture? You can order it and have it shipped to you. It'll be here tomorrow. Are you hungry for something that's not within driving distance? Do you want a specific kind of barbecue or a specific kind of tacos or maybe something exotic, maybe Greek or Thai or something like that? You can have it delivered. It'll probably be here in an hour. We live in a time with such affluence and such freedom. Why would we ever deny ourselves anything? Well, let me ask that question differently. Is homemade ice cream a good thing? Yeah, I think we can all agree. Even the people who are lactose intolerant are like, yeah, it's a good thing. I wish I could have it. Is, is, is a pajama day when you just don't get out of your pajamas, you just hang around the house and don't do anything, is that a good thing? Absolutely. Let me just answer it for you. That's a good thing. But if your goal is, you know, I want to run a 5K in three months and I've never run in my life. Or if your goal is, I want to go to the doctor and I want him to do all the tests and then to hear, wow, all those numbers that were high have come down. You're doing good. If that's your goal, then you're going to have to say no to some homemade ice cream. You're going to have to say no to some pajama days. You're going to have to deny some of your basic urges and do what doesn't feel good to get to where you want to be. And I say that to say this. What is our goal as Christians? No matter who you are, what else we have in common? Here's what we have in common for disciples of Jesus. Our ultimate goal is to be just like him. Not in his power, but in his character. And we don't get there by feeding our desires. It's good when we have some of those good things, but the only way to get there is through spending time in his word, through, through prayer, through getting out into the community and serving him, through coming together as a family of God and, and worshiping in this place or in some other church. Those are the things we have to do to become who we're meant to be. And in order to do those things, we have to say no to some things we want. You know, Paul, one of his most famous uh, promises or most famous scriptures was Philippians 4.13. Some of you could quote this before I even put it on the screen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And sad to say, a lot of Christians misinterpret that. They take it out of context to mean, hey, I can be whatever I want to be. I can do anything I set my mind on. No, that's what Disney movies say. That's not what, first, what Philippians 4.13 says. Philippians 4.13 does not mean I can start at middle linebacker for the Houston Texans, Okay. You have to read it in context. Paul is writing from prison. He's writing to a group of friends to say, don't worry about me. I'm fine. 
And then the two verses before 4.13 say this, I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what Paul is saying is, you know, I didn't used to be this way. But now that I've learned through the process of self-denial, through the process of drawing closer to God, I have learned the secret that I can be happy in any circumstance. Would I rather be out of jail? Sure. Would I rather have lots of food than little? Yeah. But I don't have to have those things. I'm no longer entrapped by the idol of comfort. You can do that too. And it is a victory when you do. Second thing. Second thing, don't waste your pain. We've already talked about how pain is inevitable. Every, into every life, some rain is going to fall. The question is, what are you going to do when that happens? James 1, 2 through 4, that was one of the verses or one of the life verses of one of our, our babies here today. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. See, the, the point is not that when hard times come, we're supposed to throw a party. That's not what it means. It doesn't mean that we look forward to times of suffering. What it means, though, is when they come, instead of our whole emphasis being on, Lord, take this away. Lord, make this go away. Lord, I cannot go on like this. We stop and we say, yes, but God can do something great here. This is not a wasted time. So, so you find out that that debilitating pain you're experiencing is incurable and it's not going to go away. It's only going to get worse. The industry you've trained for your whole life, you've worked in your whole career, suddenly dries up and you've got no more work and you've got to start from the bottom in some new industry because you're too young to retire. Um, you suffer a, a miscarriage or your child is diagnosed with a serious mental illness. Um, the person you thought was the love of your life breaks off the relationship. These kinds of things have happened to people in this very room and more. There are probably people in this room, in fact, I, I bet money there are people in this room who, if you knew what they had to do just to get clothes on and get here to this church today, you'd be blown away. The mental strength it took just to function that much because of the pain they're enduring right now. And if you're in a time of pain right now or in the future when you are, and you cry out to God and you say, Lord, take this away. Lord, heal this. Lord, cure this. Lord, work a miracle. You are doing exactly what the Bible tells you to do. But don't stop there. Instead, go on to say something like this, Lord. Help me not to miss what you're going to accomplish in this time. Because I know, I know you love me. You died for me. There's nothing you wouldn't do for me. So because this pain exists in my life right now, I know there has to be some purpose for it. Nothing's random. And, and I know that even though I can't see you right now and I can't tell what you're doing, I know you're up to something because you don't let go of me. So Lord, don't let me miss what you have planned for me. Don't let me just be caught up, so caught up in my pain that I miss what you're doing because this could be the moment when I grow closer to you than ever before. When I really, when I, I've got nothing left and I turn to you and, and that's the beginning of a, of a relationship with you that, that carries me the rest of my life. This could be the moment when my church family reaches out to me in a brand new way and there's a revival that breaks out because we're finally weeping alongside those who weep. This could be the time when I'm being equipped to do the work that I was born to do. And, and part of it could be that, that I'm here so that in the future I can go up to somebody and say, oh, 
you're going through a divorce? Well, I went through one some time ago. Let me tell you what God did for me. Oh, you've been diagnosed with cancer? Let me tell you about my journey with cancer. Oh, your child is rebellious and has run away from home? Well, that happened to me too. Let me tell you what God did for me. Don't miss the opportunity for God to do an amazing work in your life. So if you let him, he can make it a life-changing moment. I, I just want to encourage you to muster up the courage and the faith to pray something like this. Lord, please do make this pain go away. But, but until you do, don't let me miss what you're trying to do in my life through this. Number three, live in hope. So I had a friend um, who, had, who was diagnosed with ALS. And this, is, this is four or five years ago. He was a young man, younger than me. Um, had a beautiful little girl. He's a Navy vet, really good guy. And that, that may be the worst diagnosis you can get. And that is an, a cruel, awful disease. And years later, after I'd come to this church, he passed away and his wife called me and told me and, and asked me to do the funeral. Of course, I was honored to do it. And I was drawn to a particular scripture for his funeral service that I'd never used in a funeral before. And it was 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. And I really struggled with that scripture because I thought, how can I say that Charlie's problems, his struggles, his afflictions were light and momentary? That sounded awful. Unless heaven is real. Because if, if heaven isn't real, then that's just words and it's a mockery. But if heaven is real, yeah, Charlie lost the ability to walk and then the ability to talk and then the ability to breathe, the ability to swallow. And slowly, slowly he left us. I mean, just dying by inches. It's awful. But if heaven is real, then the next time we see him, he's going to be running and jumping and climbing and dancing and feasting and laughing and we will too. <laughs> And his time that he was struggling, his time that he was slowly dying, for us it seemed like years, but in the span of eternity it's going to be like a finger snap. And all of us, when we're gathered there, we'll look back at the hardest things we ever experienced and we'll say, yeah, I sort of remember that. The way we remember a really bad dream. Yeah, I remember, and it was really bad at the time, but it just kind of seems like nothing now. That's what we have to look forward to. Hope. Hope means I know that's what's ahead of me. And when you put your hope in the things of this world, when you put your hope in once I buy this car, once I get this promotion, once I get married, once my kids are born, once my kids are out of the house, once it always disappoints. But when you put your hope in God, he never lets you down. And with hope in something that don't disappoint, you can stand any kind of pain. So this is a true story. When my wife was getting ready to have our first child and we were going to be induced, I say we, she was going to be induced. And I was scared. I was way more scared of the process of labor and delivery than she was because I'd watched too many movies. You know what happens in movies? Every time a woman is giving birth in a movie, she turns into a different person, right? She levitates and her head spins around and she barfs out green bile and, you know, she calls her husband all kinds of foul names. And my wife is a very gentle person, a very kind person. And I was used to that. And I did not want to see her become that person I'd seen on the TV screen. And so when we got there at 5 a.m. And, and they got 
got her started on the medication and the contraction started and they said, okay, Mrs. Berger, you let us know when the pain gets too much and we're going to give you this little epidural. It's just a little shot in your back and it's going to take away all the pain from your waist down. You're going to be fine. And I said, could you go ahead and give that to her now? I mean, why, why wait? You know, I mean, just go ahead and give it to her now. And if you got something for me, just go ahead and bring it on. And, and I was so surprised because Carrie was like, no, 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 I'm fine. Just leave me alone for a while. And I was so surprised because, you know, I'll be honest with you. My wife is not an athlete. She's not, she wasn't in the military. She doesn't have an exceptionally high pain tolerance. And, I, and yet she had this grace and this dignity and this calmness through it all when I was a basket case. And the reason why, the sole reason why, is because she knew what the pain was producing. She wanted to be a mom. And she was ready for that baby. And she'd been carrying that baby around inside her for 40 weeks and, and, and relating to that baby from a distance. And she was ready to see this child. And so it was worth whatever pain she had to go through. And that's hope. Hope is knowing there's something good at the other side of this. And so I can take this. I can stand this. I can, I can, I can make it. I don't have to quit. See, the idol of comfort says, oh, life is short. And this world is as good as it gets. So you better, you better grab hold of pleasure now and think about all the stupid things we do, all the tragic decisions we make because we listen to that voice. But the voice of hope says something good is coming. You can afford to give yourself away. You can afford to trust God because he won't let you down. So when you have hope, you pray something like this. Lord, teach me to walk in hope, to think about the new earth every single day. Help me live with one eye on the life to come. And then finally, if you want to beat the idol of comfort, find your joy and comfort in God. Again, doesn't mean it's wrong to enjoy the little pleasures of life. But those things don't last forever. That good meal you're going to eat as soon as I stop talking, it's not going to last forever. You're going to eat it and it's going to be gone. And you're going to be hungry again in a few hours at best. The things of this world don't last forever, but God and His joy, His comfort, His purpose, His peace, they do last forever. Psalm, 100, Psalm 16 verse 11 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist is saying, hey, comfort idolatry is snake oil. It does not pay off, but God always lives up to the hype. His promises never fail. Think about it. Every good thing you've ever had came from Him to begin with. Don't you think when we're finally in His presence, when we trust Him with all our hearts, we're going to get good things? So let's go back to those questions we asked at the beginning. How do, you, how do you turn your heart away from the idol of comfort or any other idol towards the God of all comfort? How do you do that? Well, what do I spend my money on? Jesus said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's straight from the, from the Sermon on the Mount. In other words, if you really want to change what's most important to you, where your heart is, change the way you spend your money. Take some of that money you're spending on your hobby or on yourself and transfer it over to the things of God. And your heart will change. Or how about that question, what am I angry? What am I upset about? What am I anxious about? What am I afraid of? C.S. Lewis famously said, don't let your happiness depend on something you could lose. That's really good advice. So, so whenever I get angry or when I get afraid, it's a reminder to me, oh, 
One of my idols just got stepped on. One of my idols just got disturbed. That's why I'm mad. That's why I'm scared. It's just a reminder. Oh, I've got things in my life that are more important than they should be. That's why I can't sleep at night. That's why I don't want to talk to that person. And then third, where does your mind go in idle moments? What do you daydream about? You know, here, let me just share with you something I learned a while back. It's hard to change the way you think. It's hard to get negative thoughts out of your mind. If you've gotten into a pattern where you're really mad at somebody and you're holding bitterness against them and you decide, I'm just going to wake up tomorrow and I'm not going to think negative thoughts about that person ever again, you can't do it. If you've got lustful thoughts running through your head or greed or all kinds of things that aren't supposed to be there and you just decide, okay, no more. You can't do it. But here's what you can do. Instead of worrying about what's in there, put in new stuff. You fill your mind with the right thoughts. You fill your mind with good things. And you crowd out the things that don't need to be there in the first place. So, as a matter of fact, that's why we're recommending the All-In Challenge this year. Because if you're reading the Bible every day and you're reading through the whole Scripture, you're putting good things into your head. You're putting the thoughts of God, the words of God into your mind. If you're praying every day for the lost people you know, and you're taking inventory every day, am I praying for this person? Do I know if this person has a relationship with Christ? That puts your mind on other people and not on you. If you're out there doing mission work, whether locally or getting ready to go on one of our mission trips this summer or next fall, that's going to change the way you think too. That's going to put your mind on the needs of this world. And if you're committed to generosity, if you change the way you spend your money, we've already talked about that. That's going to change your heart as well. So fight against that idol of comfort. Let me just leave you with this. The Gospels tell a story about a woman with a chronic illness that lasted. She had it for 12 years. This was an illness that wasn't bad enough to kill her, but it was bad enough to debilitate her, to, to just wreck every, every aspect of her life. Not only was it painful, not only was it embarrassing, in her culture it rendered her ritually unclean, which meant she couldn't worship in the temple, which meant that anyone who had contact with her was unclean, and so that it disrupted all of her relationships. Meanwhile, she spent all of her money trying to find a cure, but all the people she gave her money to were snake oil salesmen, and she got nothing back in return. So she ended up broke, and destitute in every way. And one day she hears that Jesus is coming through her village and she hears the sound of the crowd that's gathering and she runs from her house and she sees this massive crowd clustered around Jesus because this is during one of those periods when Jesus is very famous and everyone wants to hear him speak. Everyone wants to see him do a miracle. And so they're clustered around him and you can picture this woman, this woman who's been ill for 12 years. I'm sure physically she wasn't very strong But she's fighting with all she has to get through that crowd. She's elbowing people and grabbing clothes and and worming herself through small spaces. And finally, she gets close enough to Jesus that she's able to to lunge for him. Just picture her like a a football player lunging across the goal line, stretching his hand to to get across the, the, the axis of that goal to score, reaching, reaching for the hem of his garment. And at the instant she touches it, she feels... A sensation she's never felt before, but she knows exactly what it is. She's been healed. And to her horror, Jesus at that moment stops and turns around and says, who just touched me? And she's terrified because she knows she's just done an illegal thing. If you know you're unclean and you touch someone else, you render them unclean and they can have you punished. But she has the courage to look up and say, it was me, Lord. I touched you. 
And to her shock, the, the look on his face is not one of judgment or anger. It's a look of joy. It's a look of love. And he says, your faith has healed you, my daughter. Go in peace. So let me ask you, what are you reaching out for today? What are you straining to grab? What are you pursuing? Is it a new neighborhood you can move into and all your dreams will come true? Is it a new job where everything's going to be better than the old job? Is it a relationship that's finally going to be perfect? Is it that next bump up the lifestyle ladder where everything will be the way you've always wanted it to be? It won't work. It's snake oil. But if you're straining for Jesus, if you're reaching for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus, if you, the desire of your heart is just to live the way he wants you to live and to know him better, the joy that is headed your way is joy you can't pay for. Joy that is priceless. So pray. This prayer is in your bullets and take it home. Let's pray this this week. Lord, teach me to enjoy the blessings you give, but to find my true joy, my true comfort in you.